We're going to finish up today uh, part two of what we did last week in Philippians chapter four, uh, looking at verses one through nine. Uh, this is uh, our last coffee cup sermon. Um, so this is, you know, verses you'll see on somebody's coffee cup somewhere or on the wall. Um, and, uh, and so we'll be beginning uh, in Christmas, of course, December, looking at our Christmas series. Uh, and so uh, this is a, a powerful one still, as we saw last week, of, of how this works out and uh, dealing with worry, anxiety, uh, dealing with, uh, well, tension and disagreements between brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, as these are all things being addressed in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, it's been said uh, that in the French-Indian War in the 1750s that there was an Admiral Phipps uh, who was the commander of the British fleet, and his job was to anchor outside of Quebec. Uh, he was to kind of give support to the British land forces as they were coming in. Uh, and so when they were to go into the city, he was going to give artillery support from his ship. Uh, Phipps' Navy arrived early outside of Quebec, uh, and as the admiral waited, he became annoyed by the statues of the saints that adorned the towers of a nearby cathedral. Uh, and so with his annoyance and the power that he had, he decided that he was going to have a little fun and he commanded his men to shoot at these towers uh, with the ship's cannons. No one really knows how many rounds were fired or how many statues were knocked off. But they do know that when the land forces arrived and the signal was given to attack, the admiral was of no help whatsoever. He used up all of his ammunition shooting at the saints. You know, when we think about this and we consider our church and churches in general, it is an easy transition for us to move from our pursuit of what is holy to pursuing, pursuing what we see as unholy in the lives of people around us, including in the church. And we start aiming our artillery at our brothers and sisters in Christ. That was certainly the case, as we see in Philippians chapter 4, where Paul is addressing these two women, unknown to us other than their names. We don't know what the issues are. We don't know how it was resolved. But we realize if it happens in the church in Philippi, it can happen anywhere. Uh, and so uh, with that, he starts giving some ways to address uh, these two folks that were having a hard time getting along. Uh, bringing on help. But then he starts talking about how it is we're to live our life uh, in relationship to one another, but how it's founded in Christ and our strength comes from Him. And so I'm going to ask that we, we uh, stand as we read this together. We're going to move on from Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, looking at verse 8 and 9 specifically, but we're going to read the entirety of this. I entreat... Udia and I treat Synecdoche, some of you have been asking me to say that name uh, numerous times, so there you go, it's Synecdoche, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of the life. So we know that these are believers. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You may be seated. Just in way of review, uh, as we looked at this last week, uh, we see verse 4, when we see what's going on, what's transpired between uh, others in this church. He says, verse 4, he says, I want you to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And we learn uh, that we are to remember the person of Christ and rejoice. I uh, learn to make this a part of our life, our every day, as we go through life, to understand that the strength and the source of joy may not be the other person and who they are, but we learn that Christ is always working in everything, and that there are, are reasons for us to rejoice in Him, that this is our, our mental state, that we always go to this. Uh, as we keep on reading, uh, we, we talk about how we remember the proximity of Christ, and relax. We see this in verse 5, that word reasonableness, or extreme moderation. Uh, some translations might say let your moderation, but your extreme moderation. Uh, the fact that, uh, that we are centered on Jesus Christ, the Lord is at hand, and so there's a lot of things that if we have our, our agenda, our dream, our, our heart focused on who Christ is, then we can relax about everything else. And the problem that we often get into is that instead of making the focus that the Lord is at hand, that maybe some dream, our, ge- our agenda, our vision of what ought to be, to be that uh, our focus and, and make that the center of our being. And so when that gets threatened, life gets totally out of kilter. And so a reasonableness, an extreme moderation happens for those who have their hearts set on Jesus Christ and that, that their dream is focused there. It gives them the strength to deal with things that aren't always to our liking. And then we see uh, in verse 6 and 7, uh, we remember the power of Christ and request. The idea of, of not being anxious, of what does it mean uh, to look at all the possible scenarios that could happen and believe and trust in that God can and will work in every single scenario, the the good, bad, and ugly that's in front of us, instead of being anxious about it and pondering all the bad things that can happen, believe that God will work and even thank God in advance for what God will do. Uh, And so this is remembering that the power of Christ, what he can do, and we pray and we ask and we find that when this happens, when we have this mindset on uh, verse 7, there's this, this condition, this promise that comes with this, that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. And this is not just an internal peace. I believe this is also a peace that can happen between brothers and sisters in Christ in a church. That peace of Christ will guard 
your heart and mind. That the word is, is a sentry that is on watch duty. The peace of Christ is on watch duty of our heart and our minds in Christ Jesus. And, and so then he takes this, this idea of your mind in Christ Jesus, and now he's going to kind of bear in on that idea. What does it mean to have your mind guarded in Christ Jesus? What does that look like? And that's where we come to verse 8 and verse 9. In verse 8, we're going to remember the character of Christ and ruminate. All right, so I'm stuck on the R's right now, okay? Ruminate. Uh, think upon, dwell on this idea of who Christ is and what we're to think about. Uh, one of the things that as we look at this, he's, he literally tells us this is what you think about. Verse end of 8, think about this thing. What does it mean to have your mind guarded in Christ Jesus? Well, you think on these things the biggest difference between a follower of christ and anyone else is ultimately going to come down to what you think about there's what christ has done in our life the grace of god given to us that changes first how we think if we are not changed in how we think then there is no changing happening if we do not know how to make captive thoughts in our life then this is you know, a baseball metaphor, hitting, hitting the ball. You can't go to first base unless you hit the ball. All right, so it starts with, in your mind, how you think. And so, uh, you know, I've discovered this little, this little contraption. This was given to me uh, uh, maybe a year or so ago. It's a, it's a nifty little thing. Uh, you just kind of uh, put this on. If you ever see someone talking to themselves, they're not really talking to themselves. They've, they've got these, uh, these things in their, their ears, and uh, they're just a uh, little microphone here, and they're just having music playing, or maybe they're listening to a podcast, or, or they're listening to a, a, some kind of talk thing, and, or maybe someone's called them, you didn't hear the, the phone, uh, because you know, the only of them could hear the ringing, and they're just having a conversation. This happened to me just the other day, where and I, I, am, I was talking, and uh, um, you know, I always thought, I'm not going to be one of these guys. And uh, here I am. And, and, and the, the, but there's an effect of this, though, isn't it? I mean, when I've got this on... How do you know I'm not listening to music right now? How do you know someone's not piping in something for me to say right now? You know, it, it has the effect, doesn't it, of just shutting everyone out. When you see someone, because you don't talk to people like this, do you? Because they've got their own thing going on, you know? Uh, and so uh, when I come into the house, I've, I've got to remember, hey, I've got this on, and I've got to take this off. Because it doesn't communicate the right thing if I'm talking to my kids, my kids talking to me, and I've, I've got this this going on, right? Uh, but it's a kind of an internal dialogue that you can have. What I want to present to you is that the Holy Spirit wants to talk to you. He wants to use His Word to talk to you. And He wants you to talk back to Him. And so God created this whole little thing that you've got called talking to yourself. Called thinking, Right? We're all thinking. God created you with you that have the ability to think that you can do things and at the same time have this conversation going on. I'm, I'm having a conversation going on even now as I'm talking to you. And it's just an amazing thing that God has given us that ability. So even as you're sitting here, you've probably got five thoughts, five conversations that, that are, you're happening. One of the reasons I talk so fast is because I know that you can think faster than I can talk. And if I give you a lot of time to think, man, you're going to be thinking about all kinds of stuff. Uh, and so, here's the, we're all sitting here, and we all look like we're paying attention. 
That's the trick, isn't it? That's the trick. You can get here, you can look right, sit at the right time, and you can walk out, and you can tell yourself, you can tell everyone else, I went to church today. But God knows whether you went to church today or you went to some other restaurant or something else, you know, or you're still in last night, um, or you're in bed, you know. Uh, Sometimes that becomes obvious. Uh, That's the thing about the Christian walk is that it's primarily right in your head. What you think about, what you discuss, what perception you have, and it's totally private. Totally private. And you can fool every single person, even the most intimate person around you. You can fool them because no matter how much, they still don't know What's going on in your head? And that's why sometimes it's frightening, isn't it, when we consider this idea of being before the throne of God. Because we do know that God knows. And He's aware of every single thought. In fact, Jesus said, every idle word will be judged. And there's this extension of God's seen it all, He knows it all, and there's an accounting of it. And that's why it's such a glorious thought of what we just sung that there can be a time that I stand faultless before the throne of God. This same God who knows every single thought, yet sees me as faultless. Now, you know your thoughts. You know the evil intents, the quick judgments, the coveting, the various things, the anger, the hate. And all those things Jesus has become. When Jesus became sin for me, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, when I read this in verse 20 21, when he became sin for me, he became the bad thoughts of my life. And God gave the punishment due him for him becoming those things. So, this is a very powerful thing. If, as a follower of Christ, you don't win the battle of your brain. There's no progressing in your walk with Christ. If in your brain, your thought lights aren't being held captive, and you're surrendering thoughts to Jesus Christ, there is no growing in Christ-likeness. And you can be sitting here every Sunday of your life, and you can listen to every summer that comes your way. You can memorize the Bible verses, but if... When it's all said and done, these things, the scripture memorized, the sermons you've heard, the songs you've sung, if they're not coming to bear by the Holy Spirit to hold captive thoughts in your brain and saying, I will not go there, you are not growing in Christ-likeness. You need to be clear and understanding exactly where the battles are won and lost. When we look at the examples of, of people like um, Joseph, when brought with temptation uh, by his boss's wife and, and was uh, just tried to be seduced, he had already purposed in his mind, I'm not going there. I'm going to look at that and realize that wasn't a new thought that Joseph had. 
This was something that he had held captive long before the opportunity ever came. And so when you look at an example like David, who falls into temptation, you see that this was something he was entertaining, and it was just a matter of time it became evident. The battles are won and lost in our brain, first and primarily. And so when we think about this now in relationship and strife with others, what you think about other people matters. Matters. And so as we read the Word of God, as, he is, is, as Paul is dealing with this, this feud that's going on, he has to address how we think. And so when we look at this, remembering the character of Christ, I want us to think not just about these things in general, but how we think about these in regards to other people. So Philippians 4.8, finally, uh, is the word that's here in the ESV. Uh, other translations might say, in addition. And this is kind of a summary as he's giving his advice, his instructions to people who are dealing with anxiety, uh, dealing with uh, feuding, uh, and saying, uh, dealing with joy. He says, look, if, here's where the battle's won in anxiety, uh, where it's won with joy, where it's won with tensions with other people, how you think. Finally, are in addition, brothers, and you list out these characteristics that are descriptive of Jesus. True, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, any excellence, anything worthy of praise. Think about these things. So this has been called the Philippian filter test, uh, how we sift out thoughts in our brain. Um, so just think about this, first, not only in life and circumstances itself, but think about this in regards to other people. You know, when we go in a feud with someone and we're in a disagreement with someone, what do we tend to think? We think and we gravitate to thinking the worst of that person. We think of the worst possible motivation for what they did, and we camp out there. We think about the worst possible attributes that we're looking for now. And we now assign these attributes about that person. This is what we call a political campaign. <laughs> All right? Isn't that what we experienced for the last year? Where people paid millions, if not billions of dollars, to present the worst possible thoughts of others. And so at the end of it, we look at it and we think, either candidate, you know, are terrible, um, and I certainly see some lacking things. Uh, but now we've got a president-elect, and we think about the worst possible characteristics of this person. Because, well, that's what's been introduced for the last year. And sometimes we saw good evidence for that. So I just want to bring to your mind that when you're dealing with a feud, and you're dealing with tension with other, other people, consider what Paul is saying here. What's true about them? What's honorable what's just what's pure what's lovely what's commendable about a person let's kind of camp out there instead of camping out on the worst case scenarios so as we look at this what what is the true thing so first of all it's amazing how when we deal with anxiety how much of the things that we're anxious about worried about are really not true it's been said by a doctor who did a, a survey uh, that 8% of the, the ones he examined, of the worry that people dealt with, 8% were real concerns. 92% of the objects of worry were imaginary concerns. 
you think about that, have, when you think about your own worry, what is the things you're worried about? How often are just imaginary stuff? So Paul is saying, though it's true, think about what is really actually going on and what's true according to what we know about who Christ is. As we keep on reading, it says, whatsoever is honorable or noble might be another word, above today's uh, dirt and scandal. Uh, what's, what does it mean to be honorable? That means which inspires reverence or all dignified, worthy of respect. Uh, this is a word applied to deacons and uh, leaders in the church that they were to be honorable in their, their character and conduct. Uh, their uh, parents and elders are to keep their children under control with all dignity. Same type of word here. Uh, it means that we're going to take life seriously. Uh, it's not to be silly, just goof off on how we look at life. It is one perpetual joke. But there are things that matter, and we're going to live in light of eternity. Uh, we're going to keep in mind the shortness of life, that life goes by fast. Uh, there's a reality called heaven, and there's a reality called hell, and that these Uh, How we live our life matters in determining heaven and hell, what Christ does. It's the overall tenor of how we communicate to a lost world that we will stand before a holy God someday soon. And we're going to think of some reverent themes that we want to camp on and put our mind on. We keep on reading, it says, what's noble, what's just, or right. This is a word used to describe God himself, righteousness. Jesus is righteous, and we are to be righteous people as we've sung about. Uh, and John writes, let, little children, let no one deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, 1 John 3, 7, 8. To think on what is right means to think on a holy nature of Christ, especially as revealed in Jesus Christ. It's to model our behavior after him. So let me just ask you, what are the prompts you have to think about certain things. If you don't give yourself intentional prompts to think right, what are you going to think about? Have you ever just examined what you think about? We all are thinking even now, and as soon as you wake up, you start thinking. Maybe it's like coffee, you know, or maybe it's cold, or, you know, but you start thinking instantly. If you never give yourself intentional prompts, then you're just going to respond to the stimuli of a day and those who are thinking intentional. Okay? And I assure you, there are a lot of people thinking intentional around it. There's huge money, huge money going into giving you intentional thoughts. It's called marketing. Okay? Uh, And so as you wake up, What's prompting you to think about what is right? If you don't do it intentionally, it's not going to happen. We keep on reading whatever is just or or right, whatever is pure. This is not just a a ceremonial purity that we see in the Old Testament. Uh, It means keeping our bodies before the Lord. It keeps our brain before the Lord to say that we are set apart for the purposes that God has in store for us. Because God has made our bodies and our bodies are for Him as well as the Lord is for our bodies. Uh, And so these are the things that that we set our brain on. As we keep on looking, whatever is lovely, which is pleasing, agreeable, attractive, uh, instead of what is evil. Uh, and so we think about what's lovely about other people. 
as well as lovely about our Christ. Whatever is of good reputation or good repute, uh, you see here, are commendable. Uh, and so it means to, to speak well of something. Uh, and so we enjoy a good reputation, perhaps, and that's kind of the word that's behind us. And so we're going to love the best about other people. Here, 1 Corinthians 13 talks about what love does. Love believes the best about another person. It's refusing to believe an evil report, a brother or sister, without evidence. It's not to say, yeah, let my mind go there uh, when you hear bad things said about someone. It's to say, I'm going to resist that until there is ample evidence of this. And certainly, we don't assign evil motives until there is good evidence for such things. Uh, and so this is what it means to, to love one another, to see Christ in one another. We don't look for Satan. We're looking for Christ to be at work in the lives around us. And we keep on reading here. It, it, it kind of has these summary things. If there is any excellence, if there is any worthy praise, think about these things or to sum up think of anything of virtues think of anything worthy of praise think on these things so let me just ask you how are you thinking are you even aware if you don't have awareness of your thoughts then you have no way of answering that question so what can we do when you ask us to think on these things i found i need help on thinking on the right things so the first start is simply asking God. God, can you help me think right? Help me to think well. You start off with utter dependence on God, realizing unless God does something, I can't think right. Left to yourself, it's not going to happen. In fact, Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Your thought life determines everything about what you become. Your thought life. In fact, uh, it's been said, we often say it uh, uh, frequently now, but uh, Frank Atlow once wrote this, Watch your thoughts, they become your words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. Watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. It starts with your thoughts. So that's why the, the phone is becoming a big deal, isn't it? Because the phone is directing our thoughts more than it did a year ago, three years ago, five years ago. In fact, as I look around right now, and that no one is actually looking into a camera or a phone makes this utterly unique right now. Just look, enjoy, look at each other. No one's looking down. Isn't that amazing? Because now even in the most intimate of settings and the most seriousness of meetings, there's still this looking down that we've got. What's behind that? I don't want to intentionally think. Someone give me something to think about. Is it anything other than that? Give me something to think about. Go through the Facebook feeds, the social media. Give me something to think about. Give me something to think about. Oh, look, kitties. You know. Uh, I would go to the news. Give me something to think about. 
What some text? Give me something to think about. The predominance of the use of the phone just is screaming, I need something to think about. And I don't know how to think on my own. So here's what I would propose to you. I wouldn't propose necessarily to, you know, let's have a bonfire throw away the phones. Um, but why don't you use your phone to prompt you to think before you go thoughtless with amusement? You know that that's the word amusement means without thought. Um, so why don't you, before you pick up the phone, before you look at a text, before you check the social media, why don't you pray? Just try it. Write it on your phone if you have to. Put it on the, the, the screen lock. Have you prayed first? It's amazing how many more times you'll pray if you do that. So just change it. Instead of going thoughtless, worshipless, prayerless, and filled with anxiety and feuding and joylessness, let it be something that says, let me go to God. It might be that your desire to go to social media will drop because this thirst that we have to connect with something bigger than ourselves is going to be satisfied in praying to God, not seeing what the larger network's doing. Have you found that there's no satisfaction to that? I mean, you can go a long time just looking, what else, what else, what else? So I think as we, th- as we look at what the Scripture has to say and, and, and how we got our thoughts, we've got to incorporate our phone. We've got to figure out how to help us go to Christ with this uh, as, as we look at this. And so uh, first we need the mind of Christ. Pray for it. Ask God to direct our thoughts. But clean out, block out sources that bring sinful thoughts. All right? If that phone is doing that, then that's a concern. Um, If the computer is doing that, then that is a concern. If it's the books you read, the songs you listen to, then that is a concern. That's why all these things matter. That has a gateway to our thinking matters. Music, movies, books, art are huge tools for praise and worship our sinful rebellion against God. And they're not going to be really neutral. You've got to figure, figure out which one of these will, will be the tools uh, that brings worship to our life. Pastor Kent Hughes, who wrote the book Disciplines of a Godly Man, said, It is impossible for any Christian who spends the bulk of his evenings, month after month, week after week, day in, day out, watching the major TV new- networks or contemporary vid- videos to have a Christian mind. Let me say that again. It is impossible for any Christian who spends the bulk of his evenings, month after month, week upon week, day in, day out, watching the major TV networks or contemporary videos to have a Christian mind. We cannot be godly. We cannot be Christ-like if we don't control the TVs, the videos, the movies, the music, the magazines, the books, the, the podcasts, the radio programs. It has to be given to Christ for control. And then, I would say a help to remembering the character of Christ is taking God's word from every source you can. We're going to be doing a a study 
our talk through podcasts. I'm, I've been doing this podcast with Josh, and we're working, in, and we're going to talk about how do you have the Bible in our life? How do you, how do you listen to the Word of God? How do you read the Word of God? How do you study the Word of God? How do you memorize the Word of God? And how to apply the Word of God, meditate on it. People joke with me a little bit because I'll, I'll go on the memorizing hit for a little while. But I just simply said, in my experience of what I've learned from God's Word, memorizing the Word of God has been the single largest influence for me to hear God speaking to me than anything I've ever done. In fact, when I started memorizing it and letting God speak to me through the Word, I did not know how God spoke to me before. I started memorizing the Word of God. Now, you cannot go past this first thing I told you of asking God to change your thinking. Because you can memorize all day and not have your life changed. But when you apply it with dependence on the Word of God, and dependence on God, and asking God to bear fruit through this, you can, you can plow the ground, and you can put the seed in, and you can water it and fertilize it, but ultimately, when it's all said and done, God is going to make that seed grow. You can memorize the Word of God, you can study it, you can read it, but what you need is God, dependence on God, His Spirit, to make that seed grow in your heart and mind. So, taking God's Word from every source you can, those who have grown in Christ always been people of God's Word. Expose your mind to the teaching and examples of, of Christians throughout history. Read or listen to biographies of believers. That takes us to the next verse. Verse 9. Remember the people of Christ and replicate what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Look for people that you can see God working through. Watch them. Learn from them. Paul is saying, I've tried to be that way for you. And what have you learned and received from me? Do them. Do them. Practice these things. So, getting familiar with people in the history. Looking at Christian biographies. Looking at some of the missionaries of William Carey and Adoniram Judson. Reading about who these guys are. What did they do? Guys like Chuck Colson, his book Born Again, looking in and seeing what did they do? How did they see change in their life? George Mueller, Spurgeon. There's great examples of people in our own country and historical figures that are believers and let the, the walk of Christ change them. Men of, of England like William Wilberforce and others, uh, even uh, Lincoln and how he became a follower of Christ, even in his presidency and how that changed him. Look for these things. Learn from them. Listen to music. Especially some of the great hymns of faith that are giving you theological truth. That when you hear a tune, it brings back great truths to your heart and mind. That's part of what we were hoping to do in singing songs. 
is that that also is a teaching, the aspect of teaching theology of what do we believe about God, what is true. And so when we hear songs that can get into our brain, and sometimes, uh, you know, some folks are much more musical thinking, and they can't think coherent thoughts, but when they hear a song, it comes. It comes. Some of us are that way. Some of us are coherent in the music, are incoherent in the music, and it just it doesn't work for us. But let it be a tool that you seek out music that helps draw you to Christ and your, your thinking. And so, one last thought I would bring to your attention as I read what Paul is saying, especially in verse 9, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Isn't that interesting? The God of peace will be, will, will be with Udius, will be with Synetica, with, with those who sometimes get out of line with one another if you can think right if we can rejoice in the lord if we can know that the lord is hand and we get focused on that and so we let moderation be in all things that we pray about things and thank god for what god is going to do even in the midst of bad things happening the god of peace can be with green pines can be with you but let me just bring this thought to you here's paul saying yeah, whatever you saw me do, practice those things. Whatever you heard from me and saw in me, learned, practice those things. So let me challenge you, you follower of Christ. Who can you say that to? Who can you quote verse 9 to and tell them, Whatever you've seen in me, what have you learned? What have you seen me practice? Do those things. Are we living a life that we can tell someone else and say, if you want to know what it's like to seek Christ, just examine how I've lived and do those things. You see, in a church... This is a time of instruction in the Word of God. But the greatest instruction of the Word of God is going to come as we walk out of here and we walk with someone in their life. And we learn from them. And we've seen them in bad times, hard times, difficult times, when they're easy to be anxious and worried. And you watch them there. When you see them in times of tension with other people, I never forget one of the lessons I, I have. Just my dad is, dad was in a, in a, a situation, public setting, where he was introducing another uh, leader, Christian leader, and uh, his dad sometimes says things without thinking. And this was one of those cases. He didn't think about how it was taken, and um, and a young seminary guy came up in dad's face uh, right after that and was just furious and mad. And I'm sitting here wanting to defend my dad and think, you foolish man, you don't even know. Uh, what dad was thinking, what he was saying, and, and you're just lashing out on him. And watch dad just say, thank you. I'm sorry I offended you. And I kind of just did this double take. Like, come on now. This is the time to correct them. There was no correction. It's, it's, it's watching people in that moment when folks are in their face to say, this is my hope. This is my stay. 
this is what I rejoice in, that the Lord is at hand. It doesn't surprise me when I have a slip of my tongue and then things get crossways when I speak. My hope's not in that. I'm sorry. Forgive me. But I rejoice that my name's still written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and that's my hope. That's my joy. It's by working with one another. Church is, above anything else, relationships. It's not sitting here looking at me at a certain time of the day, and who knows what you're thinking about. It's in relationship with one another for God's purposes. We're in relationship with one another for God's purposes. So let me ask again, who can you say verse 9 to? What you've learned, received, and heard, and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You're going to be that way for someone. You're going to look for someone to be that way for you. There needs to be someone who is a Paul in your life pouring it into you. But there also needs to be a Timothy in your life that you're pouring into, that you're showing them. You don't have a Paul, and you don't have a Timothy. Then you're not yet working in good relationship where you're receiving and you're giving. Look for those. Look for those. What I love about this, finally, brothers, what is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy praise, is you can't go wrong with Jesus and thinking about Christ. Set your minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And what's so amazing to me is that Jesus thought of what was unlovely. He thought of that which was wrong. Jesus thought of the unjust, the impure, that which is not commendable, that which is not excellent, that which was worthy of condemnation, and died for those so that we could think on what is just, lovely, pure, commendable, excellent. Jesus died on the cross to save me to think right. Get that? Jesus died on the cross, saved me so I can think right. Let's ask God to help us think right. Let's pray.